Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Introvert Theater Podcast. My name is Sergio. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about a film based on a children's book, that being Maurice Sendak's Timeless Where the Wild Things Are. I don't feel like I can talk about the film without taking a few moments to reflect on the book. That said, this book is both written and illustrated by Mr. Sendak, and is about a child named Max who is introduced to us, the readers, as a kid in a wolf suit, which is sort of like a onesie-type pajama. His head pokes out of a hood with whiskers on either side and pointy ears standing high atop his head. In the beginning of the book, he chases the dog and is just kind of acting out to the point of where his mother calls him a wild thing and he screams, I'll eat you up. His mother sends him to his room without dinner as a result of that. Now here, his room kind of grows into a forest with hanging vines and he catches a small sailboat to an island where the where the wild things are. The wild things are these creatures that kind of greet him at a at the shoreline and are these huge, hairy and they're hairy and they're seemingly a combination of different animals. So they all have sharp teeth, scales, fur, and horns, and they greet him by gnashing their teeth and howling. He subdues them with a quote unquote magic trick, which is basically just him staring them directly in their yellow eyes. They dub him the king of the wild things, and Max proclaims that they start the what they call wild rumpus, which is just them having fun. They swing from tree to tree, howl at the moon, etc. And he puts an end to the rumpus and sends the creatures to sleep without dinner. He realizes he misses home and takes his boat back to his room where he finds a dinner waiting for him. And that's about it. The story itself is only about 36, 37 pages in length, so I always thought the notion of turning it into a feature film would be near impossible. I mean, how could you? You know, there's barely enough context in the book itself. The closest thing I ever got to a live-action experience, as a kid at least, was a Chicago theater stage production of it when I was probably about six or seven years old. Even then, I <clears throat> remember the costuming and the stage setting being very intricate and elaborate in ways that really brought the book to life, at least for for that time. Since that point, there had been rumblings over the years of maybe an animated version, which, if you're interested, there's actually test footage of out there on YouTube, to finally a live-action film, which leads us to where we are today. Uh, that being Spike Jones's version. Now, Jones's version is unique in that it truly expands upon the book, and it was done incredibly tastefully, to the point of having Maurice Sendak involved as a producer. It starts off much the same, but Max, here played by Max Records, is given a bit more depth. He still wears the wolf suit and struggles with the absence of his sister, and with these wild mood swings that they imply could be the product of a chemical imbalance. His mother, played by Catherine Keener, is absorbed in her work and doesn't have the time she would like for Max. Or to spend with Max, I should say. She's a single parent who is um, who one night is actually embarrassed by Max and his acting out in front of her boyfriend that she has over the house. He's standing on the kitchen counter, just kind of screaming, asking for dinner, things like that. And she, she tells him to get down, and he, he responds by screaming, I'll eat you up. 
She grabs him as he tries to run out the door, and he bites her arm, and he just kind of takes off into the night. His imagination takes over, and suddenly he sees a boat waiting for him that he once again takes to the island where the wild things are, much like the book. So while there are similarities, there's differences throughout that really make, make this um, feel like a new experience, sort of like, I guess you could say, revisiting an old friend. The main difference between Max's interactions with the creatures is that he tries to impose rules on them where they um, were otherwise kind of living this carefree and sort of aimless existence. This expands on the part in the book where Max sends the creatures to sleep and without supper. Now, here in the movie, in creating these rules, he sort of creates a separation in friendships, and it's this realization that he comes to that has him decide to leave the wild things and head back home where his mother is waiting for him. So, in a sense, the movie is about the loss of childhood and, I guess, hitting a point of maturity. Only when Max begins imposing rules on the creatures does he realize that his mother's intentions were, you know, for the better. And he also learns about himself in turn. Now, when I went to go see this in the theater, I saw it with a small group of friends who were all raised on the book, and we were all fans of Jim Henson especially. Uh, Henson's Creature Shop was responsible for building the suits of the creatures while the faces were enhanced with CGI. And there's just something very magical about a Henson production from... You can go as early from Sesame Street to Ninja Turtles to this film. There's a certain quality to the craftsmanship and everything his studio does, and it's all down to the smallest details. I think it's beneficial to have something tangible, something that occupies space that the, um, the actors can touch and react to. It helps create a sense of wonder and helps us appreciate the effort that went into creating these monsters. It's really hard to spot where the suits and the actors begin, much like Carol Spinney as Big Bird decades earlier. The suit actors really bring the characters to life by their movements, despite the limited vision from, you know, inside those suits and those huge masks. So, the book holds a special place in my heart. I remember being sort of scared of it when I first read it as a child, but it was also a comfort in many ways. I think Karen O oh of the band The Yeah Yeah Yeahs captured and created that sound and, and feeling perfectly. It's one thing to visualize what it would look like, but it's a, a whole other thing to create a sound and, and have it match the kind of tone of the book. I think somehow the, the score captures the fun and melancholy feel and, and really broadens the scope in a way that benefits the movie. There are points in the film that are quiet, save for the score, and those are the most powerful and introspective moments that call for a moment of silence to break from the sometimes sporadic nature of the film and its sound and its characters. I hadn't seen the film in some time, so... I decided to read the book again before getting into the movie, and it still holds up extremely well. Neither talks down to kids, and there's something to take from, from either of them. I don't feel like one version is superior to the other. However, I do feel like they work as companion pieces to each other. I say this because the movie adds a bit more layers to the overall story. For example, 
in the movie, the um, the monsters are all physical manifestations of Max's psyche. Whether it be jealousy, rage, fear, sadness, all of these feelings are exemplified in Max from the get-go, whether it's sadness and jealousy and realizing that his sister has chosen to be with her friends over him, uh, resulting in a lack of connection or the rage that he displays in, in trashing her room as a result of, of that. I should also talk about one of the monsters in particular, that being Carol, as voiced by the late, great James Gandolfini, uh, Tony Soprano himself. His character is more of a direct reflection of Max in that they're both emotionally receptive, creative, and, and act on emotion almost instantaneously. He even built a large-scale replica of his ideal place for all the monsters to live, which is where Max comes in and, and decides that they should build it. But Max himself becomes authoritative in doing so, and that's ultimately what causes the rift in the friendships and ultimately leads Max um, in his decision to leave. I feel what Spike Jones has done is allowed us to mature, to grow into adults and, and revisit this story with a new set of eyes. I don't feel like it's mere happenstance that Sendak would still be there for us and get to see this vision brought to life in a, in a new light. I think Maurice's illustrations add a layer of complexity to his short story and fill the gaps that are there while Spike's film uses the, uh, the medium to illustrate a whole new experience that is familiar and, and just as engaging. The film is every bit as intentional as the illustrations and the words in the book. I think maybe there's different levels of acceptance as we grow. As a child, we, we accept things as they are and will and we'll always have questions. The book is simplistic in its approach, but it spoke to those of us that read it at, at, the, at that tender age. It was something we could relate to, something on, something on our level. Whereas in our adulthood, maybe we expect more and are more receptive to exploring our emotions, good or bad, because of life experience. And because of life experience, we've come to learn that things happen for a reason, and our childhood goes out the window when we find that we're living on a finite timeline. Sometimes, because of this, the questions stop and life just becomes this ride, and some of us become complacent. This movie and the book are a reminder that it's okay to hurt, to be afraid, to wander aimlessly, and, and it's okay to consider the feelings and thoughts of others, but never to impose upon them. Where the Wild Things are, in both its formats, in my humble opinion, are quintessential works. I had a friend who, after we had seen Spike Jones's following movie, Her, had suggested... I had suggested that she give um, Where the Wild Things Are a shot. Her response was that she couldn't see how a children's book could have just as much depth as the movie we just saw. As you can imagine, it was an eyebrow-raising moment. And, and, and I hope that the perception of children's books changes over time, because people end up missing out in their later years as a result of adulthood. I feel like this film not only... 
I feel like this film not only goes out of its way to treat the the source material with with respect, but it treated its audience just as well. I think it's a very brave piece of cinema with a large heart that elicits a genuine response by the end. To say that I'm thankful for both would be a severe understatement in this case. I think this is a good point to close before I begin to ramble on any more than I already have. Uh, next week's movie will be a surprise entry, which is just another way of saying I haven't decided on what to analyze next week. So until then, may you live in suspense, and once again, thank you for listening, and a special thank you to those that have complimented my efforts with this podcast. It means a lot, and I'm truly grateful. Um, take care, and have a good one.